in his latest article, maybe there's a new one underway, Peter Navarro titled it, When Joe Met G, The Seinfeld Summit, it is the first virtual heads of state meeting in the history of China-U.S. relations. And Peter, my friend, was it really the meeting about nothing or what should it have been about? David, it was definitely about nothing, but because of that, it was it was something that reinforced an extremely dangerous status quo now between communist China and this country. What 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 the nothing was that wasn't spoken about was let's start go through the checklist. First of all, we are under attack from communist China with a deadly virus that came out of a bioweapons lab in Wuhan. Everybody knows this now. China needs to be held accountable. More importantly, David, we still don't know what the original genome of this genetically engineered virus looks like. And uh, by the way, uh, Fauci was partly responsible for that. So, so Wuhan didn't come up. Uh, there was no line in the sand drawn on Taiwan and Biden basically kowtowed to the Chinese version of the one China policy, which basically says to Xi Jinping, yeah, you can take it anytime you want because it's yours. No mention of human rights abuses in Xinjiang province, no threats to pull out of the uh, 22 Winter Olympics unless Beijing did X, Y, and Z. No mention of the fact that they hadn't paid $70 billion in terms of the skinny trade deal we had signed. And so, David, it was about as uh, uh, far from the the President Trump's China policy uh, as Beijing is from Washington, D.C. You reference Neville Chamberlain in your article. And, you know, I I pay close attention to history and what happens after after yeah. Chamberlain's piece in our time, the white paper yeah. signed by him, after that, we saw the emboldening of enemies of freedom, the rise of despotism, actions that followed. And when you reference, for example, the one China policy, uh, isn't that even bigger than just Taiwan, but more about China's ability to move forward as they see themselves, as the Chinese Communist Party does, into the next era of the new Mao? Yes, and and remember, the one China policy was was the lever which China used to take Hong Kong. Uh, remember what happened. That that's a perfect example of how the pandemic helped China advance its geopolitical position. Prior to the pandemic, Hong Kong protesters were in the streets, standing up to the jackboots of communist China. Once the jackboots were able to lock protesters up. Uh, they they took Hong Kong uh, without without a whimper from from anybody, inclu- including uh, on this side uh, uh, of the Pacific. Um, there's a I, I think you're aware I've got this new book out in in Trump time, and the first chapter I think is so relevant because um, it's a, it, in Trump time is a story of the, the last year of the Trump administration, and it starts on January 15, 2020, in the East Wing with the signing of the so-called skinny trade deal. You have Leo Ha, the vice premier of China, on stage with President Trump and Vice President Pence 
Uh, there's almost giddiness in the air. Trump is at the top of his popularity. We've got the strongest economy in history. And, David, I'm sitting there in the audience looking at this spectacle, debacle in my mind, uh, because I, I, I was literally in a cold sweat thinking about the virus. I, I had predicted years earlier that China would cause a, a virus that would kill millions. I'd seen the classified information coming out about Wuhan. I'm seeing the smoke rise from the crematoria. And I'm thinking, what do these communists know they're not telling us? Why are they sitting so close to the president if they could be infected? And most importantly, David, could this be a bioweapon to take out the only president that ever stood up to them. And so fast forward to the Seinfeld summit, and, and the arc there is, yeah, um, communist China used the pandemic to take out Trump, and now they have a compliant uh, kowtowing servant who's compromised uh, in all manner of ways, uh, giving away uh, this country to the Chinese. You know, I got to say something about that. I, I'm about a third of the way through, not a third, two thirds of the way through your book right now, Peter. Reason I haven't finished it is the exercise I'm engaged in because you were there in the White House and especially in your role within the Trump presidency. Because I keep going back and looking at secondary sources, alternate, and looking at timelines. What yeah. you outline in, in Trump time is a story about America and where we are, were and how we got in large part to where we are. And as I match up actions that follow, uh, whether by China, by others, competitors on the world stage, even let's call it the mega, the global corporations, it starts to make a lot more sense. You write about China's deadly sins, seven deadly sins in another article, and forced technology transfer, state-owned, predatory state-owned enterprises, currency manipulation all come to mind. China has not only weaponized the virus, regardless of the genome, the use of it, the type of leak, the nature of the leak, they've clearly weaponized it, but they're weaponizing the economic field if you will how do yes, we yes. how do we stand up against that little uh, breaking news for you in, in a second term and i've talked on a number of occasions with president trump about this we were going to crack down it was going to be a hundred percent tariffs on everything and we were going to begin to decouple from the chinese economy uh, and and basically the other component is peace through strength. I mean, when what you have, for example, with the Taiwan situation, um, is very dangerous. When when Biden signals weakness, that means she might move on Taiwan, and at that point anything can happen and spin out of control. Uh, Xi Jinping would never try any of that with Trump. But but this economic aggression, David. I mean, this has been going on. For so long, it continues to go on, and people are, are in denial. This whole look, this pandemic issue, we have got to get to the bottom of what happened in Wuhan. And I mentioned Fauci earlier, David. This guy is evil. He is the guy who used American taxpayer money to fund the crazy bat lady of Xi Jinping at that lab to do gain-of-function experiments to turn harmless bat viruses into human killers. 
And he never, it never crosses, two things never cross his mind, David. One, that is that the virus could escape from that lab, and two, that the Chinese military might use that as a bioweapon. I mean, that, that, that to Fauci, Fauci needs to go. The whole mission of the In Trump Time book is fire Fauci, put him in jail, hold communist China accountable both financially, it's about a $20 trillion bill so far, and morally, and get to the bottom of, of what happened on November 3rd. Uh, and it, this is, I mean, we are at a precipice um, in history, David. I, you know, I've been around a long time. I've never seen our economy in worse shape. Uh, and the Chinese continue, they, they look, the, some of their people have died, but they don't care. I mean, I, like Mao sacrificed hundreds of millions of people on the altar of his ideology. If they lose a few, no matter if they gain relative to the U.S. economically and militarily, and that's exactly what they're doing. My guest, Peter Navarro, economist, author, a former assistant to President Trump at the position, was director of trade, manufacturing, and, and manufacturing policy. Why that's important in putting that in, in scope and, of course, for what you're doing now, Peter. The president has renominated Jerome Powell to be Federal Reserve Chair, and he has named Lee Brainerd uh, to be Vice Chair. This just happened today. What's your reaction to this? Well, uh, Powell uh, stuck the president um, in in the back with a knife when he was there, uh, when the president was there. It was was the president who appointed Powell, but he did it on the recommendation, interestingly enough, of Steve Mnuchin. And the problem we have with Jay Powell was that he didn't understand the power of Trump economics. He ran a contractionary monetary policy at a time when there was virtually no inflation, and we had room to run, David. We could have hit 4% GDP growth if Powell hadn't done what he had done. And I think, I think he did it to do harm to President Trump. And now you see him reappointed. It's, it's like Fauci... Fauci helps take out President Trump. Powell helps take out President Trump. And now they're both rewarded such as it is. My concern, though, from a purely economic point of view, is that Powell uh, has a far too uh, lax monetary policy. Basically, you've got Congress spending trillions and the Fed accommodating that by printing money. So I just, I mean, that, that, that man is not up to the job. He, he had the wrong policy with Trump to contractionary. He's got the wrong policy with Biden uh, to loose a policy. And he probably kept that policy loose so he could get reappointed. So uh, this, is, <laughs> this is not good news for the republic as Congress poises itself to pass trillions of dollars more in a bill, which I believe may well break the U.S. bank if that thing gets passed. And that's not hyperbole. It's just fact. 
You know, I, I mean, I did miss, uh, I did misstate her name, but I want to go to the next level. And Peter, I don't know to what extent you're aware of the history of Lael Brainerd, now nominated as vice chair of the Federal Reserve. This is an old Clintonian Democrat, someone with ties. Yeah. I've read about her and what she's written and said when it comes to economic policy. And looking at this, and her as a possible successor to Janet Yellen, for example, would be another path. Uh, To me, this says that Biden and the progressives, while they may claim Powell is in some ways a Republican, that they're really setting up a line of succession for a more centralized control of of economy. And as they see it on the left, you know, whether you have a literal central bank with a building, but a central bank control structure. Loose economic policy to feed the uh, basically fiscal irresponsibility um, on, on the Hill. I mean, if you look, if you look at how the 1970s stagflation emerged, and let's be clear what stagflation is, it's simultaneous recession or slow growth coupled with inflation. You usually don't observe that, David. You, you know that as well as I do. You can usually cure one of the other things without harming harming. So the problem we had in the 70s is, is it started with Lyndon Johnson, the guns versus butter, Vietnam War, plus the Great Society. There was no trade-off there. So he, he kicks off the inflation. Then you had Arthur Burns at the Nixon Fed basically accommodating that with, with a massive printing of money. And once the inflation genie got out of the bag, they couldn't contain it because then we had the stagflationary shocks of food and energy price shocks. We've got the same thing going on now on steroids, David. You've got a fiscally irresponsible White House and Congress. You've got Jay Powell at the Fed printing money. And, and worst of all, you've got the, the communist Chinese pandemic shock that is having a t- tremendous um, negative impacts on our supply chains on our urban areas. I mean, this, if, if you tell, David, if I told you that we were going to have millions of people unemployed at the same time that we had millions of job openings, you'd say I was like dreaming. But that's what we've got is because of these structural problems associated with the pandemic. And by the way, forcing people to get vaccinations at the loss of their job is, is a road uh, to economic ruin when you know, when it affects longshoremen, food processors, truckers, pilots, and other parts of the supply chain. Everything seems to be going in the wrong direction. Uh, although Pete Buttigieg is having a good time at home, uh, basically taking taxpayer money uh, for two months, uh, as transportation secretary, while ignoring the worst supply chain crisis in our lifetime. Yeah, I, I the way Can't they make do that this, up. it's it's not incompetence; it's deliberate. But there is a level of incompetence. You know, I'll, I'll say this, and I want to pivot briefly to uh, Canada, Mexico, and the Made in America push. But over the years, the decades now, Peter, that I've observed, and my view of you and watching you professionally, you know when to adapt. Changes in the economy, in culture, in structure, in policy. 
And what I see here in this White House, counter to what happened in the Trump years, and as you write about in the book, was there was an ability to adapt to the situation and realize that strategies would at some time likely have to change or be changed to be effective. This White House, to me, it's theoreticians and ideology driving towards an outcome that well, it's either unsustainable, impractical, dangerous, or not possible. If you, th- if you think about the Biden-Obama administration for eight years, right? Let's think about this for a minute. Uh, they had eight, eight years, basically, which boiled down to uh, subpar growth, kind of the new normal, and stagnant real wages, okay? Um they're kind of like the, the New York Jets uh, of, of politics, right? So, so if you take that, those same people and put them in the White House again in the middle of a pandemic crisis, why would you expect them to go to the Super Bowl? I mean, it's like Trump comes in and, you know, I was, I, I, David, you know this. I was only one of three senior officials on the cam, uh, from the campaign to the end with President Trump, right? And we, can't, we campaigned on tax cuts, deregulation, uh, energy independence, and, and fair trade, right? We knew that would go, was going to grow the economy. It did beyond any expectations. And then you turn the reins over back to Biden's team, right? What happens? <laughs> exactly what we've got. I mean, they're, they're, they're just not trained very well. They're not smart. They don't know how to adapt as you said, uh, to changing circumstances. And it's all about ideology now and, and turning us into, uh, you know, that great welfare state in the sky uh, that Lyndon Baines Johnson jump-started years ago. My guest, Peter Navarro, author of In Trump Time, a journal of America's plague year. Exit question, and Peter, I really appreciate the extra time. We're talking a lot about China, the broader policies, but our two neighbors, North and South, Canada, Mexico, in the White House under Trump, a realignment of the relationship, renegotiation of NAFTA, uh, and where we are now with Biden. Uh, What does that mean for Canada and Mexico, and how could that affect us? Well, the the USMCA replacement of NAFTA uh, seems to be, be doing well. Uh, that will help Canada. My concern, David, is that this crisis we have at the border is, is going to not just, just harm the United States, uh, but, but ultimately really, really be very corrosive to Mexico. There's a great little story in the Interim Time book about in 2018, I go to Pat Cipollone's office, the White House Legal Counsel. President Trump's kind of at his wit's end over how to secure the border because he's hamstrung by these Obama judge decisions, particularly this one called Dolly G, who basically institutionalized both catch and release and the trafficking of children as a ticket across the border, right? So I go in and talk to Pat. And it's like, what do we do here? And it's, we came up with the idea of, like, let's use – threatened tariffs with Mexico, right? And and it, the people's heads exploded for 24 hours in the news cycle. It's like, oh, you can't do that. I mean, the Wall Street Journal was upset. The New York Times, as he said, everybody in between. But, David, you know what happened? Mexico sent 15,000 troops immediately to the border. And most importantly, they adopted this, the so-called Safe Third Agreement 
which allowed us uh, to keep the illegals on the Mexican side of the border, which then wiped out any incentive for people to come to El Norte, right? And then President Trump parlayed that into similar agreements in the golden, uh, the Northern Triangle of Guatemala, Honduras, and El Salvador, right? We saw President Trump solves the crisis overnight, secures our border, right? Yeah. One of the first things Biden does is, is undoes all of that. Now we've got over two million, over two million illegal aliens flooding into this country at a time of massive unemployment among black, brown, and blue-collar Americans. And as they move through Mexico, and this is to answer your question finally, as they move through Mexico, the cartels make a bunch of money, these towns get destabilized, and it's creating all manner of chaos south of the border, which no amount of of trade deals is going to be able to sign. So people in America, this border crisis... Is, is as bad for Mexico as it is for the United States, and I don't see an end to it. We have uh, we have definitely entered into a new and alternate universe, but very real for the American people, uh, who will pay the price in the end, as you and I know, for these high-level actions in the Beltway. Uh, Peter, again, I can't say it enough. Congrats, but kudos on on the book. And I'm going to recommend to everyone, not just in Trump time, your new book, A Journal of America's Plague Year, but they should really go back to death by China confronting the dragon. It's a global call. It's not just about America. This is a global with a domestic effect. Indeed. And as we go into uh, Black Friday, let's remember uh, the the Made in China label. You don't, uh, don't want to buy that stuff. That's death by China. Yes, it is, my friend. Thank you very much. I really appreciate the extra time. It's today. always a pleasure being a with you, David. Day. And I, cher- I cherished our time when, when you were at the White House up in Radio Row and we were able to meet personally. And it means a lot to spend some time with you today, and I appreciate that. All right. Thank you, Peter. And you can go to PeterNavarro.com for all things Peter Navarro. But I mean it, not just the new book in, uh, in Trump time, a Journal of America's Plague Year, but go back to Death by China. Uh, that book is a phenomenal read, and you will see then what in the book written then what plays out now. I'll be right back. 